If you're watching traditional markets this week, it was a crazy place to be. But then something amazing happened, and I want to show you what happened. So if you're watching traditional markets, bad, bad, bad week for traditional markets. That's a NASDAQ. You can see it broke through some key levels. But at the same time, the bond markets, the credit markets started collapsing. And if I'm sure that you've been watching the YouTube streams out there and everyone's talking about a potential credit collapse and maybe even a banking collapse and maybe even the whole economy collapsing. In the midst of all this, one of my friends, Arthur Hayes, has been an uber bull. And if you look at the headlines, he's been talking about a $750,000 Bitcoin and how he's all in and the biggest bull run ever. And so I thought what we should do is get Arthur Hayes onto a stream with us and we should find out exactly what his theory is and why he is so bullish when when you look at the traditional markets, the charts look something like this. Most people are looking at this and they're absolutely scared. So for the next 30 minutes, I want to spend some time with my good friend, Arthur, and I want to really, really, really dig in, not only to his macroeconomic views, but actually I want to catch up with him just from a life point of view. So let's do this, guys. Let's have some fun with Arthur. It was a crazy week on the markets and you'll remember that when we met on Tuesday, I said to you, yeah, I'm starting to see the signs of a credit collapse and I'm starting to see the signs of a banking collapse. And later on in the week, that's what everyone's talking about. They're all, they're all talking about this potential banking collapse and, and, and treasury collapse. And it does feel like it's getting pretty scary out there. Unless, unless, unless you're holding Bitcoin. Because right through this whole thing, if you look at what Bitcoin's done, Bitcoin actually held pretty steady. And I guess that that's what I said is a sign of things to come. Maybe this is the aha moment for Bitcoin. And you remember that I gave you a show and I said to you guys, when, when the penny drops, just say aha. Someone who's definitely had the aha moment is Arthur. And we're going to speak to Arthur in just a couple of seconds and find out why he's so bullish and why he's calling for a $750,000 Bitcoin. But before we do, I need, I, want, I need to get some formalities out the way. The first formality I need to get out the way is if you're not already a subscriber to this channel, what are you waiting for, guys? smash the subscribe button, like this content, help us get distribution of this content. Remember everything that we've done at Banter, even even the Bubbles newsroom, which is our best IP, is absolutely, absolutely, absolutely free. So if you're not already using that, do that. Next thing is, remember that these Friday uh, Banters are actually brought to you by NordVPN. Now, NordVPN is the best VPN for crypto, but for me, more importantly, guys, I don't care whether you use NordVPN or whether you click some other link on the internet and get another VPN, just get yourself a VPN. And I'm gonna to explain to you again why, for those of you who don't understand. When you surf the internet, every time you surf the internet, you are leaving a trace of your computer's unique IP address, which links it back to the location where you're surfing and also who your internet service provider is. Now, if you use a VPN, you can mask that, you can hide all of that. If you're not using a VPN, every single internet site that you interact with is recording this. Every exchange, every DeFi application, every website, Netflix, they're all recording your location, your IP address, and everything else. Now, number one, these, number one, these guys get hacked. And when they get hacked, hackers get your email address, your IP address, your location, and everything else. And if you think people don't get hacked, even the biggest the biggest organizations, Equifax, one of the biggest credit rating agencies in the world, hacked. More than 99% of affected customers had their social security numbers exposed. I read the other day of an exchange hack where in Hong Kong, an exchange was hacked. The hacker got email addresses, IP addresses, and then systematically 
went to every single user and started to drain every single user's wallets by hacking them one, one by one by one. Guys, I don't care whether you get NordVPN, I don't care whether you get any other VPN. $3 a month is what it costs you to protect your crypto if you use the link below. Once you've done that, get yourself threat protection. It costs an extra $2.49 a month. This is what protects you against malicious websites. And I, you know, I, I said the other day that I was surfing a, uh, a website and I clicked on a malicious Uniswap link and I was this close from approving a malicious site and that would have drained my entire wallet. Lucky I had the foresight to check this. Guys, I don't care whether you use NordVPN. I don't care whether you use any other VPN. Just use the VPN and for an extra $2.49, get the threat protection. It's the best $5 you can spend every single month. At the same time, you support our channel. Anyway, with that, let's go to my friend, the man, the myth, the legend, and let's find out why the hell he's so bullish. All right, let's get Arthur back uh, on stage. Arthur, welcome back, my friend. How are you? I'm awesome. How are you doing? I see that you've made all the headlines for being like an uber bull. I saw this. Arthur Hayes, $750,000 for a Bitcoin, the biggest bull run ever. Arthur's all in. What did you do this week that, uh, that, that made these headlines? So I had this thesis and I presented it at Token 2049 called Double Happiness. And it was about the bull market that we're about to experience that we're on the, on the cusp of. And it's a combination of the most amount of money ever printed in human history in a two to three year period. And the um, commercialization of AI and how that relates to crypto as the most transformative technological development that's ever happened in human history. And these two things combined are going to produce the most epic bull market in crypto and just about everything else that's sort of a risky asset around the world. Okay, so, so actually, I did go ahead. No, go, go ahead. You say actually. So I was going to, so basically I gave the presentation on stage about I think two weeks ago in Singapore, and now I just finished writing the essay that should come out in a few hours. And so I did it. I had a lot more time to do research to actually like put numbers and charts and everything to, to back up what I was saying. And I did the research into like how much debt is actually going to be issued by the U S China, Europe, and Japan. And it surprised me to the upside. It's just so ridiculous how much money is going to be printed over the next two to three years so, while the central banks try to save the government bond markets that I guess I'm just so bullish on, you know, Bitcoin, crypto, certain stocks, so bearish on fiat just because there's going to be umpteen more trillions of dollars of it, that that's kind of where that prediction comes from. So wait, let, just let's play this out because we are where we are and you've obviously, you're obviously looking forward. When I look at the markets today, this is kind of this is kind of what I see. So I'm watching the the TLT, which is the bond, the the long dated US T bill bond. I saw that this TLT actually hasn't been at these levels since I think 2007 or 2009 or something like that. So the market's saying that I want to hold long dated US government bond. It feels like there's a US government bond collapse. When I look at the fear and greed index on the US stock markets, I'm just going to refresh this for the sake of accuracy because that does change. But 24, extreme fear. A little bit of a disconnect when it comes to crypto. Crypto is still like pretty neutral when it comes to that. What am, I, what am I missing here? How do we go from people being so worried about treasuries to this uber epic bull market that, that you're speaking about? What's the, what's the missing piece for me? Because when I look at this, I'm thinking the market's starting to price in some kind of collapse. So where does that turn into a crazy bull market? So the market's right. 
there's too much debt and people are like, huh, why the fuck would I want to own a 20 year bond of any government, right? When they're going to have to print so much money between now and three to five years from now, just to roll over existing debt, right? It's not like we're paying anything back and to fund more government spending because obviously coming out of COVID, everybody around the world is addicted to stimulus checks in one way, shape or form. Now, it doesn't matter whether you're China, the US, Japan, Europe, everybody, the governments are spending money on stuff. So the bond market's like, huh, why do I wanna own a 20 year bond when the supply of this stuff is about to go exponential? I don't wanna own it, I'm selling it. And you're seeing this in the market, people are like, huh, I don't want a 10 year treasury at 4%. I'm going to start selling it. Maybe people come back in the market at 5%, 6%, 7%. I don't really know. But when you have bonds and the convexity that's embedded in a bond, when it's close to 0% interest rates, the losses are exponential. They increase exponentially in a nonlinear fashion. And so that's what we're seeing. We're seeing people who have to sell bonds and continue selling bonds because they have all this risk in their portfolios that they weren't accounting for because they could never believe that the short end and the long end rates could rise at the same time. And the long end rates would rise shorter than would rise faster than the short end rates. Cause every single time that started to happen before the central banks have come in and slammed the market with free money. Now, right now they're trying to act all tough. Like they actually care about fighting inflation. So they're saying, no, 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 higher for longer, raising rates, tighter monetary conditions, all that kind of stuff. And the market's like, great. I don't want any fucking part of this bond market. Get me out of here. And that is what's going on right now. And so, yes, I think there is, we are on the cusp of some sort of part of the financial system going belly up. I think I just posted a chart on Twitter. If you take a look at the regional banks index, it's only 8% higher than its lows in April when three banks went bankrupt in the span of two weeks, right? So we're back at crisis levels because interest rates are starting to rise because people are selling bonds. And that's what TLT is telling you. So, I mean, first of all, do you think that we're seeing a bond capitulation at the moment? Do you think that maybe this is actually a good time to start picking up bonds? Not yet. I mean, if you want to own bonds, own a three-month treasury. Park your money with the Fed. Why take duration risk? Why, why risk that you have it wrong in growth and inflation and what's more important? You get even the, the 10-year treasury and the 30-year treasury still do not yield as much as a three-month treasury. So why would you take that risk? Just put the money in the three-month as it, as it matures, roll it again. If you get it wrong, who cares? You only have a three month obligation to hold this stuff, right? You can get rid of it. And if you don't even like three months, put your money in a money market fund to bank directly with the Federal Reserve. It's risk fucking free. Why the fuck would you own a 10 year bond? And that doesn't mean you have to get out of the treasury market altogether. It just could be, okay, I own the 20 year, the 10 year, the 30 year. I still want US government risk. I'm just gonna own the three month and get paid more and have less risk. Right? It doesn't make any fucking sense why you wouldn't do that. And that's what the market's finally waking up to. It doesn't make no sense to own these bonds. Let me take, let's go a little bit, let's go a little bit back and say, I mean, Powell, you know, is, let's say he's threatening potentially raising interest rates again if the data doesn't come back to what they needed to do. We had some data this week. The data wasn't like great data. We had the job openings data, which was actually pretty scary because all of a sudden we saw that the economy is actually very hot. There's 9.61 million job openings in the States. People were forecasting 8.9 million job openings in the States. Do you think that Powell actually can increase interest rates again? Or do you think that the the damage that he would do by, that would be the straw that kind of breaks the camel's back? They they will keep increasing interest rates because the politics demands it. 
there must be a failure. Somebody has to fail, right? In the recent baking issue, there was uh, Silvergate and uh, they failed first, meaning that the FTIC did not come in and guarantee depositors money. Now, subsequent to that, there was Silicon Valley Bank and Signature. They both failed and the government bailed out the depositors. But you needed the failure of one to convince the politicians to get over this notion that they somehow care about free market capitalism, which they don't. They want to save the system. You know, so you have to show them you have to show them some failure first. So we're going to have to get another failure. Powell's going to keep going because President Biden told Powell beat inflation. He said, OK, cool. I'm going to beat inflation, raise interest rates. He's been doing that. And he can will continue raising interest rates until some major player in the American financial system goes bankrupt. So maybe a few more banks, maybe an insurance company, maybe it goes up to, you know, a big, too big, too big to fail big. I don't know, but we need to have a failure first before they're politically allowed to come in and print money. How does the bank fail if historically the treasury has guaranteed all depositors funds? Like the way I understand a bank failure is people go to the bank and say, we want our money. The bank can't afford to give them the money that causes a bank run. But there's no incentive for anyone to have a bank run if the bank is saying, well, if the treasury is saying, look, depositors, you guys are guaranteed. Don't worry. We, we've, we've had three banking collapses in uh, a couple of months ago. In all three, we guaranteed depositors. The only people that actually lost out were the equity holders. With that as the environment, how does a bank actually collapse? So it's the equity that leads the bank collapse. So what's going to happen is if I own equity in a bank, right? I've showed, I've had I've, three for three and the equity holder is getting wiped out. Mm -hmm. Two for three on the depositor is getting made whole, right? But I'm a, I'm a stockholder. I don't care about the depositors. I've got money in the stock, right? I know that if this bank is not JP Morgan, Citibank, Wells Fargo, Wachovia, the two, eight too big to fail banks, that if something happens, I get a zero. So why would I own this stock? I dump this stock. If interest rates dump are rising and people, and, and people continue to leave the small banks because they cannot pay five and a half, six percent on the deposits because their whole portfolio is underwater, and they continue to walk, right? Why would I own this stock? So the stock price leads the bank failure. And then the stock price falls so far, their equity capital cushion is diminished, they're breaching regulatory requirements, and then the FDIC is legally bound to come in and take over that bank. And that's how it happens. So and the then stock they, price goes first. And they take over the bank and they hand over the bank to, to JP Morgan, and JP Morgan becomes bigger and fatter and, and gets all these banks for basically almost for free. And the best part is he gets a loan from the fucking government to do it. The FDIC is warehousing almost almost $100 billion worth of loans that they gave to banks like JP Morgan to buy the failed banks. So it's not on the Fed's balance sheet. It's on the FDIC's balance sheet. It's a little bit, it's a little game of like, let's hide the bailout. That's what they're playing right now. So I'm just quickly looking up a definition of capitalism because I don't know, the last time I checked the definition of capitalism, it was that free markets can do whatever they need to do. But it seems like what we're getting now is anything but ca capitalism. It's capitalism when everything's going well, but when things aren't going well, then it's not capitalism anymore. I mean, am I right in, in my assessment here? Absolutely. And this is not just a U.S. thing. It's basically every country in the world, regardless of what ism you pretend to practice as a government. So, so do you really see a banking collapse like in the next, I don't know, 12 months, 18 months? Do you really see like maybe some banks hitting ser serious banks? And when I say serious banks, I don't mean... Three little crypto banks, um, three little banks that were also um, uh, traditionally the crypto banks, coincidentally. Um, do, you, do, you, do you see a banking collapse in the next, like, I don't know, 18 months? Is that like something that, that could be on the like radar? Do I think like a Bank of America? 
I don't think a Bank of America is going to go belly up. I think what's going to happen is you're going to have some, remember in the US, I'm like, I mean, I know all the political systems in the world, but the US has this political system where every state has two senators, right? And yes. there's only, was it a uh, hundred senators in the, in the Senate in the US, right? Regardless of how big your population is. So there's going to be some small little fucking bank in like Iowa or Kansas, some bumblefuck place like that. And they're going to go belly up. And because they gave a bunch of money to their boy or their girl in, in the Senate, like, what the fuck? How, how are these guys going to bail? I'm not going to bail out. Why, don't they, why isn't the FDIC stepping in and guaranteeing all the deposits of everyday average Americans, right? You cannot not do that politically. And so that's how it will be solved. It's not going to be, you know, the next one's not going to be some big bank that anyone outside of like bumblefuck America has ever heard of. It's going to be some small little fucking bank who knows what the fuck they were doing, maybe some dodgy shit. And they're going to go complain to their senator, like, why aren't we getting a bailout? And that's how it's going to happen, in my opinion. It's not going to be the JPs or the Morgan Stanleys or the Bank of Americas. It won't get to that level. Do you think he's right when he says rates could go up to 7%? Like, do you think that... that, that sure, of course. Okay, and so rates go up seven percent. What happens? The bank, the banks start to collapse. How does the U.S. then refinance all its debt? Because if I look at the at the debt clock, this is a, this is the scariest thing that I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> the, the, it, it, and the reason why I say this is the scariest thing that I've ever seen in my life, because this is the world's reserve currency. This is the backer of the world's reserve currency. Like this is supposed to be the the best we have. The best we have has got thirty three trillion dollars worth of debt. Uh, uh, according to the to the calculator here, it went up by two hundred seventy five billion on one day this week. Um, this is the, the the forecast interest rate payments. It's a, it's at a trillion dollars. I mean, you, you, we can round it off yeah. to a tri- to a trillion dollars. If rates go up to seven percent, how does the U.S. afford to pay a trillion dollars in in loan repayments? Like, if this is a company. I would be reporting, I mean, if, if, if this was a company, I would imagine that this company would need to go to the SEC now with their tail between their legs and say, we're sorry, we fucked up. Please help us get out of this. Please stop trading of our, of our, of our share. I mean, that's, that's, that's what would happen if this was a company, right? Well, the government has the ability legally to, to borrow as much money as they need, right? So it's very simple. They borrow money and they pay back. It will make the dollar payments, the nominal payments in dollars will always be there because the government has the ability to print money and borrow money and do these things, right? And if no one wants to buy the debt, then the Federal Reserve will buy it. So that's what we're all anticipating. What is it gonna take for for the Federal Reserve to finally, well, not realize, but to be forced to become part of the treasury like it was like they were from 1945 until 1952, like during World War II, this already, we've done this before. They say, okay, the long-term 10-year treasury rate is, I don't know, 2%, 3%, whatever. They'll pick a fucking number. It'll be lower than where it is today. And we will buy all bonds up until that level. Or you've, you know, I wrote about a paper by um, Dr. Calamaramis, Calamaris, I can't pronounce his name, mm-hmm. some Columbia professor. And essentially he said it's called fiscal dominance. The Fed instructs that all commercial banks now have to hold a percentage of their deposits with them. These deposits now can only invest in government bonds, and the Fed no longer pays interest on excess reserves. Right? That's another way they can do it. There's so many ways for, to force people to own these bonds, and if you're inside the system, once this happens, you have no other way out. The, so the, the you know the thinking now is okay. I can see this coming. I know this mathematically is very probably was is probably likely to happen. Therefore, I should do something about it and move some money that I'm comfortable with out of fiat 
and into crypto, which cannot be debased in this fashion. That's okay. the thinking. That's a great bullish argument from a, someone who's, who's into crypto. And I guess that we see it because we've bought into the narrative that you know, Bitcoin is the, the world's only real finite asset. But if I look at the gold market, the gold market is actually painting a different story. The gold market has actually been, I mean, I'm quickly going to call up the gold chart. You know, I would imagine that if the new gold, if gold 2.0, um, if, if our thesis is that gold 2.0 would run, you'd imagine, I'd imagine you'd get the old fashioned guys still buying gold 1.0. And I was watching exactly this sure. thesis and I'm looking at, I'm looking at the gold price. This gold price looks like it's doing exactly the opposite. It's like, we don't want to be in gold. We want to be in dollars. Well, I mean, I think we have to think about the phase of when the declines are happening, right? So we in the crypto, we experienced our wash up moment, um, starting with Luna and then I think capstoned with FTX, right? Crypto leads because crypto is the only free market left in the world. There was no bailout of FTX. There was no bailout of Fioreros and Celsius and Voyager and all these motherfuckers who went bankrupt, right? No bailouts because, you know, just can't do it. Yes. You can't print Bitcoin out of thin air. So we went down, we hit, we had the capitulation moment and now we're looking forward. Okay. We've washed out all the tourists in crypto. This thing's going to rip because there's only so many finite good cryptocurrencies and so much more fiat is to be created. And we looked at, look at what happened to Bitcoin on, I think it was March, whatever, 10th or 13th. Yeah. Um, when the um, uh, bank term funding program was rolled out over the weekend, market ripped, right? Because we saw through, oh, we know what this is. This is unlimited money printing. We know what happens when unlimited money printing happens. Number fucking go up, right? So Bitcoin is the only free market left. Gold's a free market to some extent, but again, it's very hard to trade it. It's owned by so many um, financial institutions who have to de-risk themselves as volatility and treasuries goes up, right? So gold will get dumped like everything else because if I'm a hedge fund or pension fund or whatever, and the vol goes up in my bond portfolio, I have to reduce my holdings of other risky stuff because that's how the 60-40 portfolio works. So you mm -hmm. could see some pretty nasty moves in gold if we get a proper uh, melt-up in, in treasury yields and some of these people are forced to deleverage their positions. So with all this in mind, what do you think the traditional hedge fund manager, how do you think that they positioning their portfolio? And the next question I'm going to ask you is how you're positioning your portfolio. So I'm going to make an assumption that you're not positioning your portfolio the way that a traditional hedge fund manager is positioning their portfolio, right? Um, I'd, I'd imagine yeah. that you're a little bit more degen, that you're a little bit more into crypto than, than they would be. How do you think the, first of all, I mean, let's assume that traditional hedge fund managers see what we see here because everyone's seeing it. Yeah. Okay. So with that in mind, how do you think that they're positioning their, their portfolio right now, preparing for the storm? It's going to flat, selling everything they can. If it's liquid, dump it. That's what they're doing because they have, you know, you know value at risk models. They're, um, you know, the, the, person over the portfolio managers who's managing the entire uh, the book of what's in the particular hedge fund is looking at, okay, there's volatility in treasury markets. I should be reducing risk in every single bucket, right? So anything that they can sell, they're selling. And they're probably in a no trade zone right now. There's just, you just don't trade. You sit on your hands and you wait. That's, and, and, you sit, and, and, and you actually sit, know how to do risk management. And, you, and you're sitting in cash. When you say sit on in, sit in your hands, you're sitting in cash, you're buying dollars. Yep, exactly. Or if you can't, some, sometimes there might be stuff that you can't even sell, right? So you're going to find a proxy hedge. Maybe you're 
buying S&P Vol or you're buying, you know, downside puts, whatever. Um, but yeah, you're, you are going flat. Okay, so does that mean that if this continues until something happens, we expect the Dixie to go up because people go more into dollars. We expect the stock market to go down. We expect the bonds to go down, the yields to go up and the bond prices to, to go down until this explosion happens. I'd say, yeah, probably. I think that, that sounds about right. So, is, I mean, do you think there's a risk that the Dixie goes above where it peaked? Like it peaked like 115. Do you, do you think there's a chance that the Dixie goes all the way back up there? Sure. I mean, there's a chance that China devalues this, the yuan on Monday, right? China's been on holiday for the whole week. It's national week in China right now. The yen is looking like it's going to break 150. I don't know why, but I think that the um, PBOC wants uh, yen, sorry, Yuan. CNY versus yen, yuan versus yen to be 20 or below. I don't know why that's a level, but they've come back, they've come in the past and they've intervened when it's got higher than that level. Um, right now, it's been above 20 for a while. The PBC has been fixing the yuan way stronger than what the market would otherwise say. So I think there's significant likelihood that next week, China devalues pretty massively uh, the currency to get competitive again with this weak yen which obviously sends a dollar higher. Um, if the yen, if you know the Ministry of Finance doesn't come in and intervene on the yen and we start, we break 150 and the BOJ is looking, you know, quite a toothless on this, like we're going to somehow not print money and buy bonds, then you can see the yen run real quick, right? Again, dollar weakens uh, on, the, on all this, sorry, the dollar strengthens on all this things of, you know, China and Japan are weakening quickly due to what's going on in their financial markets. So yeah, I think, you know, Dixie could rip um, right now. What's the, what's the, what's the Japanese, I mean, how concerned are you about the Japanese story? And then we'll talk about the Chinese story in a second, but how concerned are you about what's going on in Japan? And the reason why I say, I mean, you got, the, the Bank of Japan is just buying and buying and buying and buying and buying bonds. They're on this, this absolute mission. Everyone thought that they may stop and try and worry about inflation, but that's not the case. They're just continuing to buy and they just continue to devalue their currency more and more and more and more and more. He has the chart over here. Like, is this a trade that you think the Japanese will continue? Because the Japanese don't know inflation. They, they've never lived with inflation. What, what do you think happens here? So I think the thing that happens here is the BOJ has chosen the bond market. They can save one or the other. They can save the bond market or save their currency. Now, I think every government is going to be just like Japan. They're going to choose to save the bond market, meaning save the government, allow the government to afford to roll over its debt. What does that mean? The yen could go to 200, right? 250, whatever. Um, it'll be, it'll go where it needs to go. What is Japan actually managing? They're managing the speed at which the currency devalues. How do they manage that? They sell down assets that they hold internationally. Um, Japan has a net interest, a net investment um, position of about $3 trillion worth of stuff. One trillion of that is U.S. Treasuries. So what is, what is the knock-on effects of the BOJ basically printing money to save the bond market? Well, Japan as a country is going to have to start selling down these dollar assets to make sure that their currency doesn't weaken too quickly, which means that it's going to put more stress on the U.S. Treasury market, which will have, have yields go up further. And if you are in need of financing or had financing in the past from Japanese corporates, Japanese sovereign wealth funds, it's just not going to be there because they're in the, they need to liquidate dollar assets to repatriate home to keep the yen you know, from going from 150 to 200 very quickly. So 
you think the Japanese money flow trade continues? What about China? How messed up is China? How, how, bad, how, how badly is China broken? I mean, I, I think China is going to happen, become just like Japan. Multiple decades of zero to no growth. They have the biggest property bubble ever in human history. Um, I look. I got a, shown a chart a few weeks ago, and it had the, you know, the affordability of apartment in Beijing versus in Tokyo during its bubble period. China is like off the charts. It's just so ridiculous, right? Does it mean that there's going to be some sort of like financial or political collapse in China? No, but it does mean that there's not going to be any real Chinese growth because they have to absorb all these losses. The losses will get paid. It's just how long does it take to to pay them off, and that's a political decision about how Xi Jinping and his lieutenants want to spread the pain. I don't know, but all I know is at a, at a macro level, China is not going to be growing because this property market is only going one way and that's deflating back to something so, that's reasonable in terms of affordability. So if I'm reading between the lines here, China is going to stimulate. Japan is going to continue to stimulate as they've been doing. The US is playing a game of chicken now. They can only play the game of chicken until something breaks, when something breaks. The only tool that they have left, well, they're going to have two tools. Both of them are stimulus tools. One of them is reduce interest rates really, really quickly, back down to close to zero. The other tool is just put more money into the economy. Is I mean, is that we're basically saying basically. that we're basically saying that the only way this ends is with a with helicopter money. Well, that's the beginning of it. That's the, that 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 starts the fun period. Then we get the the hangover later. But yes, the the only option that these governments know how to pursue is printing money. Because the other option, which is actually enforce some some pain on the populace, is not going to go over well. Whether you're an elected leader or you're a dictator, that was not the promise to the people. It was we the government can solve everything. So please let us do our jobs. Well, do the fucking job. Right. And so the job is print the fucking money. That's what they're going to do. Okay. So with this in mind, next 18 months or so, we get some kind of, I mean, I'm using the time frames loosely, but we get a massive, massive, massive print of money. Um, let's not talk magnitudes, but it sounds like it's going to have to be a big bailout of the system because the bigger well, the I've system- calculated magnitudes. I did this, but, this research this week. My, okay. So the magnitudes, I think that we're on par for one to two times how much money we printed during COVID. What? Right? So I, yes. One to two times what we printed during COVID, which was, I mean, that was unprecedented. That was unprecedented money printing. I don't remember the yes, stats, but- that's, but that's my 50, base case. 50% of all, was it, was it 50% of all dollars that were printed in, in, in like the last three years or something like that? And you're saying that's going to be one to two times that? Yes. In total, globally, between the Fed, the ECB, the BOJ, and the PBOC. Oh, wow. Okay. And then, so we have the best, the biggest party of our lives. It makes COVID party look like, like it was nothing. Yeah, because we're outside of our homes. We can actually go out and do shit, right? It's going to be fun. So we can actually spend. We can actually go and buy Louis Vuittons. We can do whatever we want to do, and we can drive share prices up, and the markets rally, right. and whatever else. Okay, now what happens after that? And the reason why I asked that is because in all the bullishness where I was searching for you, I then saw people will lose everything. And I was like, hold on a second. Who's not reading this right? So because Bull I never Arthur's all in, people will lose everything. So I guess that means party, party, hangover. Yeah, exactly. Right? We have everybody's printing all this money. We're debasing the currency. We're perverting 
the time value of money, the most important relationship in a civilized society. And that's going to lead to social unrest because people are like, well, I didn't get to drive the Lambo during the latest bull run. My ass was fucking working three jobs, couldn't make ends meet. Fuck you, right? And that's going to bubble to the surface. And it's going to be a, it's going to be a very caustic cocktail because everybody in the world, the, the people who don't have as much, are sitting there like, what the fuck? Like, I don't have financial assets. I'm not fucking partying at the club. I'm trying to work all this you know, work all this overtime just to feed my kids. And so seeing this party that's going to happen over the next three years is going to engender the seeds of revolution afterwards. I don't know how that's going to play out, but you can't print this much money and have a very few pe- select few people do so well while the rest of the population sits in misery working their ass off, afraid that the robot, AI robot is going to take their job, right? So you have, you know, all this going on at the same time I think it's not going to be so good. Double whammy. So you've got you've got people losing their jobs, and then you've got AI coming in and taking those jobs, which means more people end up losing jobs. It's, it becomes it becomes like a crazy a crazy scenario. Where I, I, I guess I agree with you. Social unrest is actually one of the the things. Um, I assume that your thesis is that through all this, the best thing to own is the world's most finite asset, which is Bitcoin, right? So I'm assuming that the reason why people are quoting you. And uh, and saying that, but that you said Bitcoin's going to hit seven hundred and fifty thousand dollars is because you think that Bitcoin's the place to be when when the shit hits a fan here. Well, it depends on what price you bought Bitcoin at, right? If you bought Bitcoin at twenty seven, twenty eight thousand, it goes to seven fifty. You sell it for that amount, you know, sell it for seven hundred fifty thousand, and you go and buy some farmland or some productive asset or whatever. Great on you. If you're the Muppet who bought at seven hundred fifty thousand when the when the fucking the party ends, probably not so good. So it's all path dependent. So I'm talking about people today. You know, fast forward three years, I might not be so bullish on the fact that Bitcoin is the best thing to own for that particular starting point. Yes, it's going to be useful and all those sorts of things, but you have you can't be so dogmatic because the situation might warrant that. Okay, well, Bitcoin is just a currency. I actually need something, whether that's food or a place to live or whatever use those you know undeserved fiat earnings that you've experienced over the few past few years to buy something that's useful for you and your family to get you through the hard times how much time have we got like how much time have we got to buy bitcoin like, you say for those people who buy now 27 28 you should be safe how much time have we got to buy Bitcoin? Is it like a month? Is it like a year? I don't think Bitcoin's. I don't think Bitcoin's going to pass seventy thousand until end of next year. So it's going to be choppy. Uh, it's not going to be a straight line up. But the euphoria when this narrative actually catches on, if it actually catches on, is going to be swift and sharp. And you're going to feel like a muppet if you've got to buy at charts going like this versus when the chart was going like that. Because uh, let me let's let's play let's go through a chart here. This is this is a, a fractal chart of of the the halving fractals. It kind of says that on the fifteenth of April next year, you know, we should break this trend line ish more or less. I mean, again, this is just you know using halving fractals. Then there's usually it's usually like a, a, a slow and steady chop, and then kind of like a, a huge acceleration somewhere around here. And they're saying that we'd probably peak. 518 to 546 days after the halving, which is a year and a half after the halving, which is probably just towards the end of 2025. Like, how does this go with your thesis? It's very complimentary, right? Because I, I'm looking at a debt cycle where I'm saying the U.S. 
which leads the world in terms of uh, fiat money printing, largest economy, reserve currency, all that kind of stuff, they will roll over like an average amount of their debt. The average maturity is three years-ish on U.S. Treasury debt. So there's about $7 trillion worth of debt that matures by the end of 2026. So there's a stock of stuff that needs to be printed to buy that debt. Right. So I think that a end of 2025 into the 2026 time frame sounds about right for the top of the cycle, because it's when all the debts being monetized, create the party. And then mm. we're like, OK, well, what the fuck do we do now? Right. There's not going to be the need to print all this money um, because we've refinanced the debt out into the future. So that makes it that makes some sense. OK. And um, do you think that we get like the market go, we say choppy, do you think that we've, I, mean, I guess you think we've seen the bottom. I don't think, I guess you're saying we're not going to go back down to the 15,000s. I think when you say choppy, you mean hover around the 20s and 30s, right? Yeah, could be, you know. Okay, that, 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 that kind of makes sense. So what does your portfolio look like today? Like if I would say to you, we spoke about how the hedge funds portfolio, how the hedge fund managers are probably positioning their portfolio. Like how would someone like you position your portfolio? So, you know, I have a bunch of cash. I'm, you know, very thankful that I have enough capital where I can earn interest on it and pay my bills. That's literally sitting in money market funds that are overnight with the Fed and three month treasury bills, right? Earning me five and a half percent. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. The other half of the, the other side place, of the barbell is- What a great is, place to be. What a great place to be earning five and a half percent. Why try to make anything? Why, why try to do anything else? Why try to fucking pick a stock, right? Yes. Who cares? Fuck it. I'll make five and a half percent. And then the other side is- I have crypto. I have a bunch of crypto that I've accumulated over the years. You know, I've you know gone into some other projects. Obviously, I was shilling Filecoin at Token Twenty Forty Nine and building a position there. I have a big position in GMX. I have my family office Maelstrom, and we're investing in early stage stuff. So there's that part of the the crypto side. Now, when interest rates go to zero on my cash, then I just move everything over to the crypto bucket, right? And and no stocks, cash, no stocks, cash is trash. no stocks, no T-bills. You don't sound like you have an appetite for properties and, and stuff like that. I mean, why not buy some farmland? Why not buy some, some properties? If people are always going to need properties. No? I mean, farmland's great. I, I happen to spend most of my time in, in Hong Kong and Singapore. So farmland's great, but you got to live there, right? You got to manage yeah. the farm. You got to employ people. It's not like it's just yeah. like own a farm. That's great. What are you going to do with it? So just for my particular life situation, I, I haven't have enough apartments. I don't really need more property. Um, I want shit that's liquid because you never know what's going to happen. You don't know if you're in the right place. You yeah. need to up and leave real quick, right? You don't want to be tied down. Yeah, I bought some like $100 million, whatever the fuck, right? I'm, I'm going to sit here while my shit gets got because the social situation broke down, right? So I, I want to be very nimble, very liquid. Got it. So I want to I want to pivot this discussion a little bit. So I mean, we've heard the the man, we've heard the macroeconomic theories, we've heard the investor. I want to talk about Arthur, the, Arthur the person. Like you're back in Singapore now. You look you look fit as hell. Like you look like you're strong and you're you're you're, you're you've been training a lot. What keeps you busy? Like the last time we spoke, you just got off the ski slopes. You 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 had just written the blog about how you. I think you you, you there was a gap in the ground, and I, I, if I remember, I think you, you fell or you nearly fell. Like, walk me through the life of, of Arthur. Uh, yeah, so I wake up in the morning. I do a bit of meditation and yoga and stretching. Um, I have a tennis lesson usually every morning. I do some reading, see my friends, have a coffee, go to the pool, hang out, 
uh, have see my trainer in the afternoon, either it's Pilates or movement training, read some more books, uh, go to bed. And how, I mean, uh, and then I, depending how, on how, how, how often are you looking at the markets? Like when do you find, when do you, cause you have amazing insights. Now those insights must come from hours and hours and hours of research. When do you do all of this? So thankfully I'm able to afford to buy other people's time who do this, which is look at a lot of stuff and contextualize it and narrow it down into what's important. So I spend a lot of money on third-party research firms that do high level macro stuff. Right. So I don't need to go and like have Google alerts, like reading every fucking article. I might, I have a few things that I look at on my Bloomberg. I'll just pull it open once or twice a day just to see where the market's at. You know, I'll get glued to my phone if something interesting happens. Like when the, you know, 30 year treasuries bumping up against 5% yield in Asian markets. It's fun. It's time I, I start emailing people like who's going, who's blowing up, who's going bankrupt right now. Right. So that's when it's interesting. And maybe I'll spend a little bit more time looking at the markets, but otherwise I have my investments. I particularly, I pick things specifically because I don't want to actually have to look at my phone, the markets very often. And I can do more things that I enjoy, which is like playing sports, hanging out with my friends, reading random stuff. And investments, are you, are you actually looking yourself at individual investments or is that all outsourced to, to the family office? It's all outsourced to the family office. I've done enough bad deals when I tried to do this myself. So I hired somebody who's actually good at this and I give him uh, the authority to do these things. And he makes obviously a cut of the P&L. So our interests are very aligned. And I think that our portfolio has a lot less bad shit in it. So, I mean, like, I mean, it sounds to me like if I, if I were to, to summarize your passions, it's like you're on a, you're on a fitness and health, both body and mind, fitness and health mission, um, trying to adjust your social, you know, your social and just, you know, make, have a high, high rating on the social. Is that, is that what it is? Is that, is that like, is that, is that, is that what happens when you, when you're Arthur Hayes? I mean, I, I thankfully have been able to earn enough money where I don't have to do things that I don't want to do. I have control over my time. I don't particularly, you know, the amount of money is great. It's just a yardstick in the game of life. But the real reward is if I want to go to yoga class at 1030 in the fucking morning, I will go to the yoga class at 1030 in the morning. And if that means I got to cancel a few meetings, I don't give a fuck. I'll cancel the meetings because I, you know, I'd rather do that than this. And okay, so, so listen, do that. 99% of people watching the show right now are not in that position, right? And I think 99% of those people want to be in that position. Like, walk me through what you tell those people. Like, I know there's no secrets to success. Like, I know that, like, I think when people rattle off secrets to success, you know, that those are the wrong people. But like, what would, what should you recommend? Or like, what, what wisdom pearls would you give people who are watching and saying, I want to be like Arthur. Uh, that's what I want to be. You've been through it. You've built become something amazing. E- become an expert in something, right? Is there something that you do that you've done minimum 10,000 hours of? Yeah. And whatever that is, it doesn't have to be investing. It could be a music producer, it could be a singer, whatever, whatever that is, become an expert. Because it wasn't that necessary in the past, but it definitely is going to be necessary when you have an open AI that can do pretty much everything a human can do, better, faster, but they're just not going to be as creative. So we're going to value experts. We're not going to value the paper-pushing mediocrity that suffice for work for the past, you know, industrialized 150 years. That's over. You need to be an expert in something. So have a passion about it, become an expert in it, work your ass off. Right? What That's do you think? What, what what were you or are you? Do you think when you say an, an expert? Like I read your stuff, and to me it sounds like you're an expert in multiple fields. Like what would you say you are the expert in? 
Probably just markets, markets, derivatives. Like I love that kind of stuff. I mean, I read a lot, I read a lot about economics and history and all that, all, you know, those type of things. So that's probably what I'd say where my expertise lies. Definitely not in, you know, tech or anything like that. Amazing. Listen, Arthur, it's been it's been amazing. It's been different. Good to good to catch up with you. Uh, amazing, amazing insights. And uh, as I say, like amazing balanced view, like bullish, but also you know warning us what's going to happen afterwards. I'm not going to keep you away from the gym or the meditation or, or the reading. I'm not going to do that any, any further. Just want to say on behalf of the fam, thank you so much, my friend. And we look forward to having you back on the show again. Uh, you're part of the family. Thank you, my friend. Awesome. Thank you, guys. Cool, guys. Sure. What a way to end the week. Unbelievable. 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 I think I'm going to watch this thing again and again and again and again and again. Remember that if you're still here, do me a favor, just smash the like button, subscribe to the channel, uh, amazing stuff. And you know, if you're not already subscribed to Banter Plus, there is a link below, subscribe to Banter Plus. And then lastly, as I said to you in the beginning of the show, these shows are made possible by NordVPN. And I think in the beginning of the show, I showed you just how important it was that you protect yourself with a VPN. I don't care whether you buy NordVPN, I, I really don't. But I do care that the whole family remains safe and remains protected. And as I say, if you think I'm shooting you a link, don't do it. But Get yourself a VPN and make sure that when you're surfing, specifically when you're on the exchanges, specifically when you're, when you're on the DeFi apps, you're not exposing your IP address and your location and your internet service provider. Because if it's not the hackers that are going to get hold of that, it's going to be the authorities that are going to get hold of that. And I mean, I, you know, we spoke in the beginning of the show about this exchange in Hong Kong that was hacked and they had a list of all the users' emails and all their IP addresses. That's effectively telling hackers exactly where you live and exactly how to hack you. Now, you can protect yourself for $3.49 a month or under $3.49 a month. Uh, $3.08 a month, there's a link below. You do that, you support the channel. The other thing is we are navigating an absolute, absolute, absolute minefield. You know this, I know this. How many times have you, I, I mean, I clicked on a fake Uniswap site the other day. I almost, 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 uh, uh, authorized my wallet. And had I done that, that would have cleaned out every single one of my wallets that linked that private address. Don't be an idiot. $2.49 a month. You save yourself. For $5.50 a month, you don't reveal your IP address and you protect yourself from scams. And you support the channel. And you know we work hard. And as you, as you know at Panther, everything we do is free. So listen, guys, if you haven't done it yet, now's the best time. Do it. I'll see you guys again on Tuesday. On Monday, Dylan is doing my slot. Uh, I'm traveling. Um, I'll see you guys then. Until then, trade well, my friends.